And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. It is something completely different. Lance isn't here. He's in an undisclosed location. Already written 10,000 words. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP. Here with Danny Ratliff, CFP. So happy you're here. I've gotten a lot of good advice already this morning. One from Facebook that I need to look more like Ryan Gosling. Why? I have no idea. Facebook has a suggestion for you. Look more like Ryan Gosling. I mean, I like him, but why must I look like him? Did you already tell him you're the Iron Man? I mean, no, 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 like, you know, I could look like Johnny Depp. <laughs> uh, why Ryan Gosling? You'll need, you'll need extensions to pull off that ponytail. <laughs> There's a pun in there somewhere. Yes. A couple yeah. of tattoos. A <laughs> couple of tattoos. I need to speak. Piercings. With five to six seconds between my words. Thank you. Well, we're glad you're here. And yesterday, thank you, thank you, thank you for those who turned out for our Medicare Lunch and Learn. We had a really good turnout. <clears throat> Lots of pitfalls that you need to understand. But heck, that's what finances are, right? Lots of pitfalls that you need to avoid. So we went through that uh, rather thoroughly yesterday, Danny. Yeah, it's an in-depth conversation. It's also going to be up on our YouTube channel for a bit, so go check it out. Um, ah, look up great. Real Investment Advice, or Real Investment Show, actually, and uh, you can go subscribe, go like it. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd love to see you there. And, you know, if you have questions, don't hesitate. You can go ask questions, realinvestmentadvice.com. Go to ask a question, because I know this is typically one of the, the, the bigger events that people struggle with in the sense of, you know, when, when do you file? What's the timing look like? What does it look like if you're still working or a spouse is still working? Do you actually have to file for Part A, Part B, Part D? Yeah. And then if you don't, if you mess it up, what's the penalty? I mean, these are permanent penalties, Rich. I know. And it's so easy to mess it up in all fairness to just it is. everybody who tries to research this. Danny and I spent a lot of time in the weeds with it, but we're like going, my gosh, no wonder so many people mess this up. Um, now, when it's up on YouTube, you may be too uh, a youngin and not ready for Medicare, but you probably have parents, uh, maybe grandparents that are needing this information. Please pass that on to them. It's a uh, very uh, educational, moves quickly, and of course, we are here for any questions. Hey, it may help protect your inheritance. I mean, yeah, because less <laughs> less to penalties, more to you. Oh, I like that. Less to penalties and more to you. You know, the other aspect of that, yeah. Rich, is that so many times we find that people don't actually shop it once they're on. I mean, they may get all the rest of it right, but yeah. then once <laughs> right. they're there, they just say, ah, oh, well, this has been great. No need to change, but these plans do change annually. And especially when you start, you start talking about Part D, that prescription drug coverage, mm -hmm. that can be something that, um, you know, you want to yeah. make sure that that you're doing right, that you don't have a, a drug that's not covered any longer. Right. Um, you know, but lots of money left on the table. Make sure you're shopping if you're on it. Open enrollment. 
This is your time to shine. Save some bucks. It is, especially if you're on um, Medicare Advantage. But no matter what, you should be shopping your Part D uh, coverage every year. A lot of older Americans leave money on the table. And with inflation the way it is, you cannot afford to do that uh, overall. So obviously the five-year Treasury hit uh, 3%, Danny. Uh, Mr. Powell came out yesterday. He was really stern. Inflation is important to tackle. And, of course, the markets didn't like that. And I wonder, because he was talking about front-loading these interest rate hikes, but what I wonder is, are we going to be looking at 75 basis point increases here maybe over the next couple of meetings? What do you think? Well, you know, that's one thing that a couple of Fed officials have come out and they've actually talked about raising at 75 basis points. And yesterday, Powell's at IMF and he says, Mm -hmm. hey, we're talking about a 50 basis point hike, which is interesting to me that the market responded the way it did, considering that we knew this was likely going to happen. I mean, actually, the 50 basis point hike was priced in back last month. Yeah, and that's why I think maybe we're pricing in, maybe the market based on some of that stern language is pricing in more of, hey, one, he's actually serious, even though my house is literally burned to the foundation. Um, you know, oh, he's going to do it this time. But maybe, just maybe, he moves faster on the 50 basis points, or maybe we start to price in 75 uh, basis uh, increases. Uh one thing we do know, Danny, he is way, way, way behind the curve. And soft landing, just the talk of soft landing is absolutely ridiculous for the economy because we know where we're headed. It seems like he is much more focused on tackling inflation. You know, I thought with the IMF, he was sort of, um, you know, sort of serious about it. You know, he seemed like it was really concerning him. Like maybe he was up all night for one night during the week. So it felt like he was really uh, there. So though obviously that did spook the markets. We were on a nice move here. Uh, markets were oversold, so we did get a nice bounce. Uh, and then, of course, now we started to lose that. So I think it was the rough language, Danny. We'll see how uh, it progresses. Futures are down this morning. Um, not much. They were down worse earlier. About uh, 60 points on the Dow. And uh, it was the typical move yesterday of what worked mm-hmm. and what didn't. Well, we're beginning to hear the rumblings of a lot of different anal- analysts and, and economists are beginning to say, hey, we may beat actually peak inflation. So this is going to be interesting Maybe to see if, if we yeah. do start to begin to get softer and softer data, which is what we have been expecting over time. What does that look like? And then how does that change the course, especially if this does at some point begin to cause some market instability? We're already seeing a lot of different areas that are beginning to slow. We looked at mortgage applications. I mean, this just makes common sense, yeah. right? You could get a, a 30-year mortgage for three and a half for the longest time, and now it's at you know 5.3 or more. That's, I've seen higher. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen higher. I've seen some rates hitting six on 30-year, depending on where you go. And I'm like, whoa historically that is that's slow but for this generation that's killer well i think that's going to be the key right where does it start to really impact housing prices and then begin to make its way to other asset classes you're going to see i think homeowners it's um it's called endowment bias but my home is better than your home danny so i'm going to get more money like you live next door to me but my house is absolutely nicer even though it looks the same and i'm going to sell my house for more so i think Sellers always are in denial 
for a period of time, mm-hmm. and they'll still try to list houses at these higher prices. But I think we're going to start to see, like you said, because of where housing affordability is, these prices are going to drop off. CoreLogic was saying that they think prices are going to come down about 25%. I don't know for sure. And even if we are at peak inflation, think about this. I'm at the peak, and the market might like that, but how far off the mount, inflation mountain does it really go? Like, what's the new plateau for baseline inflation? I think it's going to be higher than two and a half. It's going to be higher than that. We know that. And we're going to try to look at it for for planning purposes through through this year and the beginning of next. Hey, when we get back, we want to talk about, hey, the stock market's future ain't what it used to be and why it's very important to your financial planning when you return here on Financial Fitness Friday. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Real Investment advice.com the real investment show there is a trail of tears i think a little girl on reddit boards because the stocks that were working that made 20 somethings look like market mavens now make them look like toilet scrubbers and not that there's anything wrong i love a good scrub toilet just not with my money. And um, these high recent returns, this is a great article by Jason Swig uh, in the Wall Street Journal, if you haven't seen it. Um, and it's called The Stock Market's Future Ain't What It Used to Be. And the reason it resonated with me and resonated with us is if you're getting your financial planning done today, you it's a program. It comes out of a box and then the box, you know, People start planning. They don't look at the internal data. They are using historical returns. And as Jason writes in this piece, high recent returns make you feel rich because they allow you to extrapolate future gains, but you're just borrowing them from the future. So if I have a financial plan today and I say typical 60-40 portfolio is going to give you 8 to 9% over the next 10 to 12 years and you're looking to retire this year, well, everything's coming up roses. And then I start taking distributions next year, and I just didn't exactly get 8%. Maybe I'm flat, and I've taken 4%. Now I'm in the hole. And the longer I stay in that hole, exponentially, the, the faster it digs into my capital, and the better chance I have of outliving my money. So when it comes to this, in this article, Danny, this talking about, hey, 
stock returns and bond returns are going to be much more of a challenge. Mistakes are going to be rougher. So what was, you know, listen, bull markets cover up a lot of financial mistakes. Now the tide's going to be out maybe. And it doesn't mean it's going to be a bear market, but a tougher market. And when that tide out for you in retirement means more than you think for someone who's 30 years old and can recover. So they're talking about, you know, maybe you get 2 to 4% on your typical portfolio. If you're not planning for that intelligently in your plan to retire, you really could be setting yourself up from disappointment. And you know what? A lot of advisors use backward-looking returns to create plans, not forward. Listen, it's math. It's valuations. Your firm could do it if they want to. They can change that data. What if they're wrong? Big deal, right, Danny? Guess what? You have more money to spend. I was more conservative based on valuations. I would rather have that discussion with you than the, you know, you're five years into retirement and, hey, what are you planning to do for work? Because you're going to run out of money. Once the realized returns hit that plan, what are your thoughts? I love how we always want to look at past returns for future results, and we know that that's not something you can do. In fact, if you look at most mainstream financial media or <laughs> they tell you that right, you know, big big firms out there, yeah, it's going to be in you know fine print at the bottom, or they're going to have actually a little bigger box so you can actually see it. But I always look back and think about twenty, you know, the years before twenty nineteen, after two thousand eight. Uh-huh. It was really difficult to find returns in a lot of areas. In fact, that's right. Websites for a lot of mutual funds were making it more difficult for you to even find out what those returns were. They'd have a performance tab, but good you'd luck. You'd have to click like three other ways to get through to it <laughs> and actually true. find what the returns were. Now, once 2008 fell off the books, it was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and, and these returns looked so much better. And so I always take these things with a grain of salt. And, and really, you have to understand, and like you mentioned, it is a function of math. It is something that, you know, when you think about where we are today, are markets expensive or are they cheap? Where are we? Do we have a headwind? Do we have a tailwind? Mm-hmm. And this is really important. Now we have something we haven't seen in quite a, quite a while, inflation. Yes. And now this is something else that we have to be mindful of because it's going to erode your capital over time. Now, this inflation, you know, I know the Fed says it's not transitory. It's, it's, you know, now we see some permanent aspects. And yeah, there, there's going to be some of that. But all of this is always transitory. It's always a moving target. And I, and I, I mm-hmm. think, you know, you mentioned something interesting in the sense of what's that new number? 2% was the, the magic number that we needed to be at for inflation for the, over the last decade. And we struggled to get there. Now, where is it? Because he's fallen back and Jerome Powell's mentioned once again that 2% number. And I don't know if that's going to be accurate. You know, it's probably yeah, yeah. going to be a little bit higher. I mean, even in our planning software, we revised the baseline to two and a half. Every goal has its own specific inflation, but we start from that baseline. And then what's funny is the creators of the software actually met our baseline like a year and a half after we did it. So that was sort of funny. Um, Hey, you know how I know that uh, Danny and I haven't done laundry? How do you know? We're both wearing our black RAA shirts today as opposed to the blue ones. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Bowling league was canceled. (laughs) (laughs) So your financial plan has to be mired in reality, not historical fantasy. And if your advisor is telling you that everything's coming up roses, 
over the next 10 to 12 years with valuations at 40 times earnings and a hostile Fed, um, that's not going to bode well for what could happen or the surprises that can occur. So your prayer, and it's just not pessimistic planning. I, I had one person that came to me with their plan from a brokerage firm the other day, and, and I ran ours, and it was way different. And he brings it back to his other broker, and you know what his broker says? Those guys are always bearish. Those guys, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're bearish. This plan, you know, my plan that shows you 11% return is just hunky-dory. And I'm like, well. Why is pay. that? Why would you not want to say? Because you, if what? I'm of a broker, uh, yeah. I'm, in lo- I'm actually in love. I'm not in love with the client. I'm in love with stocks. I'm in love with the market always goes up. I'm in love with the accumulation mindset when I've got a person who's no longer Tim Allen, he's Wilson, and he's got to go on the other side of the fence. But the broker doesn't go on the other side of the fence, Danny, mm-hmm. and understand the distribution analysis is totally different. But do you know the guy's coming to us? Because he goes... You show me the background of how you created these numbers. This person just said they took the past. And I, I rather err on the side of reality. He didn't say on the side of conservative. He said on the side of reality. And I wanted to hug him. That would have been odd because we just met a couple of times. So oh well, I've got to wait till at least the fourth meeting to hug him. That's my rule. The four, the four meeting hug rule. Have you heard of that, Brent? Yes, I have. Oh, yeah. okay, great. He's still doing that at home. Um, so you've got to make sure that this lines up with where the road has changed. The terrain has changed. Your plan must change. You mentioned about inflation, Danny. Even how you might handle, even if your plan makes it, I just read a report yesterday, and I wrote a blog post, I guess, about a month and a half ago about the return to work that more older Americans are looking to go back into the workforce because inflation is so uncomfortable for them, because the market has been volatile, that they are looking to return to work in some form. Um, With inflation the way it is, plans are going to change outside the numbers that we don't even know about yet, do we? No, not at all. And and I think that the inflationary aspect is something that we probably in some ways get a little bit aggressive on in, in the sense that we say that people give themselves a pay raise each and every year, which we historically don't see that. But You might see it now. Well, but yeah, you, you may have past. to. Yep. Shoot, we, we, uh, Michelle went to the store. She mm-hmm. came back with some bacon. Ten bucks. Ten dollars. Ten dollars for a package uh, of bacon? That's what she said. Better be good bacon. Darn right. I'll tell you, it's really... Kids I mean, were grabbing a listen, handfuls. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not your allocation. Yeah. Yeah. $10. Hey, wait a minute. You've already taken like $12 worth, buddy. Bacon yeah. rationing at the Ratliffs. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Yeah, I don't think they're... We don't eat bacon frequently, but it's going to be a little bit less. But it is noticeable. Listen, and people who make good incomes, it's, a, it's uncomfortable. Can you imagine 80% of Americans that now have to make this decision to say, I can't buy this bacon or I can't buy this particular item because it's, it's out of my pricing mm-hmm. at this point. That's why um, 
I did an interview yesterday. People feel financially distressed even though their wages have gone up. Yeah, but their wages have not gone up. What prices have gone up? And there's only so long that the economy can handle the prospect of that. So financial distress is here to say, even if, like, like you said, Danny, inflation has plateaued. Well, anybody selling anything has this endowment bias. If I'm selling a used car, if I'm selling anything, I'm still going to try to get this higher price, and I'm going to wait and see if I get it. Like reality is going to take a little bit of time to hit me that how come I was selling cars like this in two days and now it's taking 14 days. We don't change that concept, that aspect of things psychologically very quickly. But households can turn on a dime when it comes to, hey, I'm not spending on that anymore. I'm spending on this. You know, like we talk about, look at Netflix. Netflix is down again, I think, in the pre-market, another 5%. It's down 35 It's down 40%. Valuations or not, changes in lifestyle where people want to get out or not, that's one of the first things I'm going to cut in my budget before anything else. I am going to cut these streaming services. I don't even care if the content's good because it's 15 bucks a month. Right? Yeah, it all adds up. And that's the problem now is that many people have, you know, we've talked about how maybe they should start bundling again these other packages because you add them all up, you may be spending just as much or more than what you were spending previously. Mm-hmm. If Netflix was going to raise prices, they should have been more aggressive during the pandemic. That's when they would have gotten it. They would have been able to have that kind of pricing power. If they would have went to $19 a month during the pandemic, People would have and moaned, but they would have paid. We get back. The Secure Act 2.0 about retirement. How's it going to change it for you when we get back? See you soon. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back. Danny surprised me this morning. How's that? He usually eats all kind of green stuff in his house, not bacon. Like, what is it, seaweed bacon? <laughs> seaweed bacon. Kale, oh, man. It's kale bacon. <laughs> kale bacon. I, haven't, I forgot what bacon tastes like. Really? Sadly. Been that long? Yeah, it's been that long. Not that I want it to be that long. <laughs> it just is. It's a sad day. In the it really is. Yeah, you've, man. I'll tell you, don't, don't come eat in my house. I eat like a prisoner in a 
gulag. <laughs> Here's your gruel, sir. Oh, kids come over to our house and they're like, "Hey, where's the hey, we, food?" We got, we're like, "We got plenty of it: apples, bananas, yeah. carrots, <laughs> broccoli." My brother comes over to my house, goes straight to the refrigerator, opens both doors, and just starts grazing, even with the doors open. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like the barn doors open. So, hey, what you got in here? <laughs> Nothing. Get out. I knew you, know you were what? coming. I bet Brent looks at a um, a broccoli stalk the way my dog Rosie does. Yes. He just goes, she goes. But I like broccoli. You did? Oh, yeah. And butter and cheese. And butter and, or, or <laughs> coated, coated with olive oil, oh. a little, uh, that pink salt, Himalayan salt. Yep. That's what and I And then yeah. bake them. You, you blew it, it on that there, part, but everything bake, else no, was healthy no, there. Bake them, not bacon. Oh, I bake, thought you said bacon. Bake them. He's yes. going to be thinking about bacon all day. I know. It's going to be is. great. Yep. Yeah. Plant-based bacon. It's going to get him a bacon <coughs> Whataburger for lunch. Oh, man, I wish I could do that. Inside, I'm 600 pounds, I'm telling you. Um, so Saturday, April 30th, 9 to 11 a.m., we're going to be in Austin. I'll have hives, but we'll be in Austin at the Renaissance Hotel. Um, and this is our Combating an Inflation in Retirement um, boot camp. Better than anything else. We're going to talk about you know, it's our soup to nuts class about how to really handle retirement in the face of the kinds of inflation that we're going through right now. So we've got quite a few people signed up. Uh, it's from 9 to 11, and this is live event in Austin. So if you all want to take a nice drive, check out the little mini Buckies on the way. Mm-hmm. I always stop there. And the girl behind the counter goes, that New York guy's here again. <laughs> Listen, I'm living here for 23 years. Can I be adopted? <laughs> but uh, that's the littlest Bucky's. Is it really? The one in, uh, what is it? Bullying. In Giddings. No, not Giddings. Yeah. Giddings. yeah, that's a tiny one. That's a tiny yeah. Bucky's. Did you see they're expanding mm-hmm. the Bucky's in Luling? Yeah. Really? Yeah. They're creating a whole new area I can work in in 10 years. <laughs> Richard's Bucky's retirement planning. My girlfriend looks at me like, he's really serious about this Bucky sting. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> it's a different perspective, man. The beaver is everything. Um, so the so Secure Act 2.0. You know, all these iterations over the last few years, they're like all these Terminator movies, right? After a while, you don't give a, a <clears throat> big a uh, <clears throat> screw or a nut uh, because it's the same theme. Minor tweaks. So the first strong retirement act, securing a strong retirement act, was back in 2019. Now we have H.R. 2954. And I have a feeling, Danny, we're going to see Secure Act 3.0, 4.0, and all that. But here's what I think. See what you think about it. Um, we got a blog post that will come out in the next couple of weeks with the highs and lows, positives and negatives for this. Um, There's two words to this new SECURE Act that actually make me feel good. One, Rothification. Two, annuitization. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Roth was the enemy, Danny. Remember? Roth was this big enemy, but we were saying, listen, it's the J.G. Wentworth of accounts. The government gets cash now. They they just can't do it. They're not going to do it. And this, this act actually bolsters. Yeah, this is actually rather, you know, rather impressive in the sense that 
for all of all of you out there who've been really so concerned, and we hear about this very frequently, mm -hmm. that the Roth is going away. This is vindication that it's probably going to stick around here for a bit. So That's lots right. of big changes within this. I think the big one that at least grabs most of the headlines is changing the RMD, required minimum distribution age, meaning the age you must start taking funds out of your retirement accounts from 72 to 75. And that'll be over a number of years. They're going to phase that in. But the big thing, what you're talking about, Rich, hmm. that I think is much bigger, but it seems to not get any of the headlines, is the ability to, number one, for you know catch-up provisions have historically been 1000 bucks. They're going to increase that substantially. Or, excuse me, well, it's been $6,500 on that. Uh, I'm thinking about HSA is my favorite account. Uh, retirement accounts have historically been $6,500. Um, and they're going to raise that to $10,000. So that's a pretty nice thing, but they're also going to start allowing for, um, you know, employer contributions to change and actually make those automatic, but then allow them to have those contributions, those catch-up provisions go to Roth, and yeah, and the matching contributions go to Roth, right? Which I think is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think so, but this is not one of my favorites, and I'll tell you, the catch-up limits. They're going to raise the catch-up limits for simple plans would be raised. Um, to five thousand for three thousand. That's cool. Yeah. Now they're going to increase it to ten thousand. But let me tell you, it's for very magical ages. You got to be sixty-two, sixty-three, and sixty-four. Correct. Why? What's so magical about raising my catch-up contributions to my retirement plans to ten thousand dollars? Well, why not do that at fifty, like everything else? Yeah. I, 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 there's some things I do not understand why they make unnecessarily complicated. It makes no sense. So I don't know. But here's the, here's the positive, as Danny's talking about. Beginning in January 2023, there would be required to be Roth options, um, such as uh, Roth 403B, right? Um, you're going to have simple plan Roth options, SEP plan Roth options. And like you said, I could put my, my uh, catch-ups in Roth. Where Roth wasn't even, you know, it makes me think, I wonder how many companies don't have Roth 401k that are going to need to get on the bandwagon to get them. Well, I think there's change. a lot. I mean, think about all the plans that are out there that have never been changed. You know, what, what a lot of people don't even realize is that they do have the ability to contribute to Roth, but they don't do it because it's hidden behind the wall or they don't see it. Or the company doesn't have it. Yeah. But it, now you're going to hear a lot more discussion. Don't you see in, in mainstream media, financial media, they talk about Roth a lot more? which we've been doing for a while. Yeah, now, they, they announced that tax bill. It got real popular. They real really quick. did, yeah. The SECURE Act, too, raises, to Danny's point, the RMD age, priority minimum distribution age 75. But again, the path to get there makes absolutely no sense. So 2023, your RMD age would be 73 for those who reach 72 after December 2022. 74 in 2030, 75 in 2033. Why? Why is this all this complication with stair-stepping this thing? It's, I'm hoping that once this, 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 if this bill goes through, and it looks like it will, they remove these speed bumps and get you to 75 on a simpler path. I don't understand throwing all of this stuff in to confuse everybody. I'm... Is it just to make the act add more pages to it? Is it an administrative thing? Yeah, where, where was the where, magic number? The, what type of research was done to actually figure that instead of doing just say, hey, all catch-up provisions are going to be 
at this amount. We're going to make that at 62, 63, 64. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. But Rich, the, the other aspect of all these things, it's like, okay, great. You, you increase the required minimum distribution age. Most people are dipping into it way before then anyways. I mean, that's good for a handful of people, but that shouldn't be the headline. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of people don't, there's so many, there's so many points of leakage in a, in a retirement plan to take money. Most people are, but it's nice to know that maybe you have the choice, but here's what's really cool. If I postpone my RMDs, Danny, say my RMDs postponed to 75, then, you know, obviously I can be more aggressive with my Roth conversions for longer. That's a good thing, right? Because I can't convert my RMD. But if I'm on this surgical Roth RMD train, which is what Danny and I talk about a lot and our planners do here, then I've got a window that used to close on me earlier that I can continue my Roth conversions. Money that would have been going into RMD could go to Roth. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's a positive. The stair stepping to get there doesn't make any sense to me, but we'll see how that works. Now, there's going to be expanded automatic enrollment in enrollment in retirement plans. So there are multiple studies about how humans do better when they are nudged in the right direction. In other words, if they're given a choice to opt in or opt out, most people have a difficult time taking action to opt in. So, and then they rarely opt out especially if the decision benefits them. So in the case of auto-enrollment, the success has worked. Mm-hmm. And now what they're going to say is that every year, auto-enrollments incre- would increase by... Uh, 1% be, up to 10%, right? Right. So it would be start at 3%, then 1% a year up to 10%, unless the participant elects not to have such contributions taken. But I will tell you, we say this all the time. We tell people, dial the notch, you know, the, the dial, move it higher for your distribute your retirement deferrals your uh, to to your plan you won't even notice it but here the company is just going to do it and i actually think this is a positive even though i think you know why do we have to tell grown adults why can't they do it on their own but we've obviously seen based on financial literacy in this country it makes sense for us to sort of force feed you yeah. into these contributions. We you know, Rich, it's just like that 62, 63, 64. I just figured out, just a light bulb went off. Oh. The average retiree age is 62. Oh. So they say, hey, nobody's going to use this. It won't matter. Uh-huh. We get back, we're going to continue on the Secure Act 2.0. We'll be back. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and Learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
Did you know a large group of Karens is called a homeowners association? I bet you did. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. What's the male equivalent to Karen? I heard it was Dave. They said it's Dave. Is that true? Uh, I'm, I'm sensing more like a Bruce. That's what I... Bruce sounds better. Yeah. Not Dave. Dave sounds a little too cool. Yeah. Bruce. Whitley. <laughs> Blake. His name is Ken. Blake, absolutely. Ken. Yeah. It's Ken. Yes. That's it. That's Ken. <laughs> Ken and Karen. Ken's and Karen's. Oh, the Kens and Karens. Paradise and suburbia. How much gray hair do I have because of you people? <laughs> um, so the uh, this, this SECURE Act, again, we don't know when this is going to go through. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Uh, so I've been hesitant to write anything about it because it will change, but you should know about it. So um, they're also looking to do in this act is bolster the savers credit. So this is, you know, a tax credit's great. That's a dollar-for-dollar dollar re reduction in your tax liability. Much more powerful than a deduction. So for lower-income households saving for retirement, this bill increases that credit to 50%, and it removes the provision that decreases the credit as income increases. And the bar has been lowered so more households can receive the credit. Uh, I don't know if this credit is going to get more people to participate in their long-term plans, okay? Um, currently, there is the saver's credit. It's not talked about a lot, but there is a taxpayer can uh, claim the credit for 50%, 20%, 10% for the, of the first $2,000 that's contributed during the year to a retirement account. You know, it's something. Tax credit is not something I would throw away, but I don't think a lot of people know about it. Uh, they have to be told about it. So I think part of the act is also to improve the communication around this uh, particular situation overall. Now, here's the one I really like, Danny. The preservation of income in Title II. This bill finally embraces guaranteed income options in retirement plans. See, I find this greatly encouraging overall. Um, so some of the barriers to lifetime income options in employer plans like 401ks have are being removed there's more of a discussion of the importance of some form of annuity structure or guaranteed income structure to create your own pension to complement your your social security a lot of people listening to this show probably don't need it most Americans are going to need some form of guaranteed income structure because they're not saving enough for retirement. So having the ability to have the longevity risk looked at and taken care of through your 401k, um, I really do think is a positive. So they're looking at um, the fiduciary standard, how they can incorporate the record keeping, the portability. So if you do have an income option, you can move it to another employer. I mean, again, I don't know where this overall goes. There's a lot of work that needs to go into this, but the discussion is starting about most people are going to be in trouble without some form of guaranteed or check in the mail every month, and this gets us started on that path. Well, I think this will be really nice as well because then you can, you know, participants can begin to start thinking about being a little more strategic as far as where they're placing funds, mm -hmm. looking at a bigger picture from a financial planning perspective of saying, okay, what 
how does this work from that longevity perspective? What yep. if I have this income? You know, within a plan, we love to have guaranteed income for your non-discretionary expenses just to make sure that, hey, you meet your bottom line, right? Roof over your head, you're fed, you're clothed, uh, everybody's healthy and well. And then from there, everything else is icing on the cake. And historically, we don't see that anymore. It used to be way back in the day, it's been, you know, everybody had the pension. Everybody had, um, you know, the savings. Now, as things have been crunched over the years, I think this will be a really nice kind of feather in the cap for those retirement plans. Yes, as my uh, professor mentor, Z Bodie, would say, it's retirement nirvana. If I have all my necessary, my needs covered by income that doesn't fluctuate and I cannot outlive. And we used to have this, this three-part stool, right, of pension and social security and savings. And obviously, it's a very wobbly stool because pensions are not there. So there's got to be a way for people to have this option and to be, and Danny, most important, how to get educated on this option. Because I think that's going to be a big place for, say, 401k providers. They're going to have to provide quite a bit of education mm -hmm. on how to use these. And guess what? This whole industry doesn't like insurance. So I'm trying to figure out how a 401k provider that thinks that stocks and bonds sort of walk on water are now going to have to help you look at things more academically and functionally in real life using these products. So that's going to be an interesting kind of twist to the Terminator movie. Well, retirement Is the plan. robot really a robot? Yeah. Right? Retirement plan advisors are going to have to step it up, right? I yeah. mean, this is a problem right now. It's been easy because... Your, your qualified deferred option is going to be a you know an age-based portfolio. There's not a ton of options in a lot of these plans. And now all of a sudden you're going to have access to something that has never been there before that people aren't really up to speed on. I and think they're not up to, to maybe they're yeah. not up to speed on and nor and nor they have a bias toward, right? So you're gonna to have to remove the bias and look at it like the reality of somebody's situation. But but let's face it, I mean, most of these plans they're not changed often. They're not looked at from a pricing perspective. So people may be paying way too much, whereas or outgrow a current plan. I mean, we see that often. That's why you know we have Tom Allen, our retirement plan consultant, who deals strictly with retirement plans for businesses. And this is great because you know when you're trying to navigate all these things, it's extremely difficult. And so I think that Rich, maybe you have a lot of plans that opt out of it, unless they're going to be force fed. And they're going to say, this is going to be a mandatory part of these plans. That's point. I think a lot of them just don't even cover it because it's going to take a lot of money and time with training. You're going to have to, like you said, you have to change a lot of minds here. And not only training just for the uh, the employees, but the people who are, who are producing the plans. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I only have one love, and that's stocks because stocks do everything. Stocks are like the answer to everything. When anybody asks me a question, all I say, stock market. Brent, what would you like for lunch today? Brent asked me. I said, stock market. It, it's, you know, broaden your horizons. And to your point, will some plans say we're not going to bother? I, I don't know, Danny. That's a very good point. I'm not sure uh, overall. Now, there also is this matching contributions for qualified student loan payments. So let's think about this way. You're a younger worker. You're saddled with student, student loan debt. You have to make this decision. Pay my debt contribute to my retirement plan, buy retirement plan, I'm going to do this. Well, 
With this proposal in Secure Act 2.0, an employee can receive matching contributions, most likely 3%, to a retirement plan, even though they're not contributing because they're paying a student loan. So usually for you to get a match, you have to contribute to your retirement plan. What they're saying in this act is, well, if you are paying toward a qualified student loan, and we see that, then we're going to give you the elective deferral as the company. We're going to give you that and put it away. You didn't put money into it, but we're going to do it. So we're going to help you save for your retirement while you are paying off student loan debt. I'm sort of torn by this one, Danny, because I'm old school that how did you get to get to this loan? How do you not pay it off? I mean, again, we're not going to get into that, but it's a provision. It's a reality, and the SECURE Act 2.0 is looking on how to tackle it so that younger workers are going to have to, at least are getting some money put away uh, in their retirement plans. So that's, that's the overall gist of it. So two words, Rothification, annuitization, and we're going to see how this all works out. And, and to your point, Danny, the annuitization part, the life income options, that to me, to your point, it's going to be very interesting to see how that's incorporated, how it's accepted, how the um, message is delivered. Um, man, that I feel like that's going to be like 10 blog posts <laughs> on the challenges there. But I do think overall, I'm giving the Secure Act a C plus, And the only reason I'm doing that is uh, this 2.0 is because of all the complications they're throwing in with ages. But it's a step in the right direction. I well, Rich, I mean, the, the, the problem here is that they, they tried to secure to act 2.0 should be like 5.0 because we've gone through several iterations of it just last year, multiple times. They yes. tried to get this passed. House could get it passed. Senate couldn't. Or the, the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, they, they really like something but could rev- never really get the traction on it. I think that they're probably needing to do something here domestically right now. You know, we've heard about higher taxes. I think that's DOA. There's not going to be a whole lot moving with that, at least at the moment. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, these are all things that they need to do in an election year to say, hey, we're doing things to help bolster consumers and, and you know, all of our constituents that you can do more, have more kind of a safety net and have more flexibility. And I think that's going to be a good thing in that aspect. But we'll see what gets done and what does it actually look like. I would love, like you said, Take that provision out where it's not 62, 63, 64. You can actually do this much, much sooner. Um, you know, on the YouTube channel, in, the, in their comments today, TS mentioned, well, maybe they're us- utilizing this so you can u- put funds towards a Roth in your contribution and take Social Security early, which that that could be a one avenue, but you would be subject to the earnings test, right? Yeah. And but, but, benefits potentially withheld, not only in locking in a permanent discount. But it could foster Roth conversion, which gives the J, it does uh, expand the J.G. Wentworth concept Correct. of I'm getting my money now as the government. So, Peter Thiel, we don't hate you anymore. We don't even know you exist per the government because we still like Roth. As Danny and I have said, Roth's not going away. It gets the government their cash now. Hey, that's it for Financial Fitness Friday. Thank you. Thank you for all the engagement on YouTube. We love you guys. And um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Lance on Monday.
Dad's World.